With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, show about life and how we travel down the not-so-yellow brick road of it. I'm Kathy Barrett, and I hope you'll stay tuned for the next 30 minutes as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. Like seeing a painting or a photograph that moves you, I hope that in each show you will see a reflection of yourself and our guests and their stories and that the information that's provided will support and inspire you as you travel down your own journey in life. So welcome to the program. Our show today is God is in the House, and our special guest is God. So this is going to be a really fun show because we will be exploring the concept of what if God was one of us and lives in each of us. Uh, Let's see. Later on in the program, I'm Kari Williams of InvestigatingLife.com. We'll Uh, join us. She'll be here to kick off the Redesign Your Life contest. And the contest is a three-week process. So beginning today, you will receive instructions from Umkari at some point in the program. And you must also go to our website at www.gobehindthecurtain.com. And there you will, uh, that's God coughing in the background. He has a bit of a cold today. Uh, There you will find a designated contest page with a contest application form along with instructions for week one. And if you click on the BTC microphone, you will be able to review today's program after the show. Also today, we are kicking off a new series, which I'm very excited about here on Behind the Curtain, called Hope Minutes. Craig V. Abbott II was a guest a few weeks ago on a show that was called Defying the Odds. He was given a two-year life expectancy when he was six months old. And now at the age of 22, he is the oldest survivor living with spinal muscular atrophy. Craig is living proof that anything is possible. Everything begins and ends with our thoughts. So this is Craig V. Abbott II with Hope Minutes. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Craig. I'm so happy you're here. How are you? I'm great. So what hope minutes do you have to share with us today? Well, you know, there are many times in all of our lives we wonder why something has happened. This could be someone losing a job or someone going through a divorce. In my case, it usually means having pneumonia for five or six weeks. And even though none of these things are fun or easy to handle, we somehow find the willpower to make it through. We are never given more than we can handle. Now, as you know, I've definitely had my fair share of ordeals in my life. But I never feel sorry for myself, and I don't want people to feel sorry for me. I want us all to be thankful for what we do have and not for the things that we want, and that is each other. That's really beautiful, Craig, and, you know, great advice for all of us because... 
so often when things are not going right, we kind of get bogged down with thinking about how terrible everything is going or, you know, kind of sitting in fear about what's happening in our lives. And what you're saying is very true. If we just recognize and be confident that we're not given more than we can handle and that we will get through it and that we have each other and we should appreciate each other because that's what's going to get us through in the end is that we have support and love that we're surrounded by. Great job, buddy. Absolutely. Great job. So thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to the Behind the Curtain family, and I look forward to your return and next week's Hope Minutes. Thank you, Kathy. Today, our special guest is God, Canadian-born mystic, singer, painter, songwriter, poet, photographer, published author, and spiritual guide. You can find out more information about God by going to www.dieux.ca, which stands for Canada. God is an enlightened spiritual author and teacher of the Tantric Osho lineage. At a young age, God traveled the world in search of answers to unanswered questions that were within his own heart. He was initiated into the Sanyas at the Osho commune in Pune, India. God also confesses to being a convicted criminal who spent five years in prison for trying to smuggle a suitcase of marijuana into Japan. It feels a wee bit awkward to hear myself say these words, but welcome, God, and it's an honor to have you on the program. Hi, it's a joy to be here with you today. Well, I I can't remember how I became aware of you, but I, I believe it was via Facebook, and I remember getting a message that said, God loves to dance, and it made me smile immediately. I thought, whoever sent this has a really good sense of humor. I love that the image the image that it brought to my mind and there was a lightness about the comment and it made me very curious to find out more about who you were. So you were formerly named Paul John Lapointe, legally changed it uh, to God Dieu, and you had to battle the Alberta government to have your name changed. So why was it so important to you to call yourself God? While I was living in India, it was quite common to have a, a, a spiritual name or a sannyas name that represented a sort of journey or destination that one is on. Mm-hmm. And um, the name I was given at the time was God. And then when I came back to Canada, I had a hard time using that here, and yet I saw that it could have value just in so far as individuals within our society have such a, a huge separation or a gulf between their concept of God and their actual day-to-day experiencing. So I just there was a natural tendency within me to gravitate to that which was so natural for me in India to use, and and I I, I changed it legally and and at first they were a bit standoffish because it's quite Christian society in many ways in Canada and mm-hmm. um, although it's, it's a hugely multicultural society as well and but eventually they saw that there are already a lot of people with the name God in different languages in Canada from other countries. So they were, the the government was happy to embrace that, I guess, eventually. That's really interesting. Now, why do you think they chose you while you were in India trying to become spiritually enlightened? Why do you think they gave you the name God? It, it's literally just what came in the moment and mm-hmm. for, for the individual that was choosing it. I mean, all, most of the names that are given in 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 that sort of spiritual circle mean God or divinity or divine love or ecstatic bliss or something of a, a profoundly blissful nature or, or con- conscious nature. 
Well, I think your life's really fascinating, and you went on a journey because you had a lot of unanswered questions that you were seeking answers to, you know, when you began this journey around the world. So can you take us back and, like, let us into what your thought process was then, what was going on in your life? At the time, I had been raised Christian and gone to a regular high school and was a very ordinary, ambitious young man that had a lot of um, a lot of energy and and not a, not an exactly clear vision of what I wanted to do with all that energy. And I got into university and I took some philosophy courses in my first year. And a few months in, I, I realized that I was studying marketing and, and management and business and, and a few a couple of philosophy classes. And I realized very quickly none of that was going to make me happy and that wasn't going to be the foundation to me being happy or me making anyone else happy. happy. And at the time I had even no concept or experience of a heart, an emotional or spiritual heart within myself whatsoever other than the one that I projected perhaps onto Jesus through the beliefs I had at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I just knew this wasn't going to make me happy to live a regular life. And I'd, I'd been uh, a West Coast fisherman with my father, so I had saved up a lot of money. And I just, I literally just dropped out of university and went to the library and got out a whole bunch of travel books, Lonely Planet books, and read a, read a whole bunch of them, maybe 15, 20. And then I just went traveling. I, I went, I did a tour of Africa for four months, and then I went to Asia. For um, what would became many years, but initially six months to travel Thailand, Nepal, and India, and then it just became this long, in-depth adventure that incorporated love and and heartful living and sex and tantra and crime and and meditation and gurus and surrender and travel and all these exciting sort of movie-esque type experiences that I went through very rapidly and intensely that also propelled a huge opening within myself to a life of adventure and a life of joy and, and also a life feeling pain also, but also going through a whole bunch of life experiences in a rapid succession of moments or events that dramatically changed how I perceived myself and how I perceived others, and I ended up meeting the Dalai Lama and different other spiritual teachers in India and studying meditation and discovering that there's something much more profound and deep than my mind or any concept that I could have of myself or others. And uh, within that, I found that there's there's an underlining clarity that has nothing to do with who I think I am or who or who anyone thinks I am or who anyone thinks themselves to be. And within that context, uh, I found a certain freedom. Uh, and within the context of what we discussed or what you mentioned earlier of going to prison and that, I found a certain grounding for that freedom where I couldn't escape myself anymore or run, or run away from myself by essentially traveling around the world and, and, and in a way avoiding my home, my inner home, through just an addiction to experiencing and an addiction to the thrill of the adventure. It really is an amazing story to me because what I love about it is that he's fearless in pursuing what he wants to pursue. God, are you with us? Hi. Hi. I don't know what happened. Just kind of dropped off. 
but um, I'm glad you're back on the program. And I was just sharing with the uh, the listeners that I really think that it's amazing, uh, your story, but um, especially what I'm drawn to is your fearlessness in just taking off and pursuing what your heart told you to pursue. How did your family respond to you wanting to take this great journey? Well, what comes to me as you said that was just this moment when I left home where I was at the airport and I, and I knew... I was sort of writing a, a journal for the first time about how I was feeling about traveling, and I, I knew my mother was really emotionally upset that I was going to be leaving sort of everything, and I knew that everything was going to change on, on in every way, and yet I had no idea, because I'd sort of lived in this bubble up to that point, to the age of 18, I had no idea what it was going to change, but I had this knowing that everything was going to change. and. Of course, my mother, being a beautiful, uh, beautiful homemaker, she was just wanting me to have a have happiness and have mm-hmm. security in my life, and uh, and to be be a happy, responsible person. And uh, and although I, I want that for myself, and I I feel like I have that now, um, at the time I didn't care anymore about that. I just wanted to be happy. I just wanted to move into something that I knew to be real and not necessarily the security of of the flock or or anything of that nature. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you felt internally that your path was different, that you really needed to follow your own direction as opposed to what society was saying was right for you. That's exactly what I felt at the time. So take us, because people are really interested in this, in terms of chart your roadmap. You did briefly before, but in terms of your searching for answers to enlightenment, what was your first stop? Where did you go? Did you land in India before you found yourself in jail in Japan? What was the journey like? To begin with, I didn't even know there was something called enlightenment or anything. I didn't even know I had a heart, um, much less any of the other energetic experiences we might have of a higher, truer nature. Um, Initially, I just went traveling, and I just had this sort of, travel bug for a while mm-hmm. and just was looking for realness and adventure and anything that would get me going. I'd climb mountains. I went to Nepal. I, I went to Mount Everest. I, I would just go trekking off in the mountains for weeks alone. Then I went to go see tigers in the Bardia National Park and, and walking around in the jungle looking for a man-eating man tiger with my guides. And I was very into <laughs> into photography at the time and I wanted to get a picture of that and and all these different adventures going to visit Asiatic rhinos and then I ended up in India and from the the go-get entering India I was just shattered like everything was just so different in India it was just like intensity factor exponentialized and every experience was so in your face there was beggars that were six, seven, eight years old on the side of the street asking you for a dollar, you know, and mm-hmm. and that, that was like more than a working man's, well, that was a working man's wage for a whole day in India. So it was just to see how much, but it was shattering to all my concepts in in one sense, and, it, and it, it actually made me ill, like for a while, just because it was just such a big, big thing to go out there and, and see all this, stuff that you see in documentaries and uh and once i sort of recovered from the cultural shock of that i I started to see the beauty behind the whole culture too and the contrasts of of the extreme beauty and the extreme poverty 
and there was a lot of thoughts at the time within me about the concept of of uh, beauty and and ugliness and good and bad and all these different extreme concepts and how reality fits into all that and and I was very much in my mind at that time and I hadn't really found my heart center at all and and then eventually in the travels that I first had in India I ended up at a meditation retreat center near the um the Dalai Lama's residence in the Himalayas and this guy he saw me come I I I was riding on this old British motorcycle that I had bought in India and he had a he was a friend of mine, this guy from Chicago, and he was going to go do this meditation retreat. And he sort of teased me. He said, oh, you couldn't do that. No, it's got my goat at the time. And I went and tried it. And it was literally the hardest thing I'd ever tried, just to sit still <laughs> yeah. and do nothing every day and have all these thoughts come and sensations and discomfort and discomforts. And yet their their meditation program was pretty pure and direct was just to be with the breath and be with the sensations and watch it. And so it was like my mind was directed towards that while there was an underlining stillness happening as well. And I somehow made it through that meditation retreat, mm-hmm. not without jumping over the fence once to go get an omelet at the pie <laughs> shop. <laughs> and... Uh, because I, it was all like really vegan food, and I'd never not eaten meat in my life, and it was like pretty intense. And after that meditation, something had shifted uh, for sure. And and for the first time in my life, I I somebody told me, "Wow, you're so relaxed." <laughs> and I was like, that that again was like a huge blow to my self concept because I'd never ever referred to myself or been experienced within myself or or from others in a reflection as being relaxed mm. and and uh, here I am here, here I was being labeled relaxed and I was like oh my goodness what's going on and uh, and it was nice like it was also very nice to be acknowledged as, as being more peaceful and at the time I was traveling in, in the Tibetan province that's in India called Ladakh mm-hmm. and there was all these sort of it was it was literally it was so astonishing to be it was on the Tibetan plateau, and it was just because it's on the India side. It's like what Tibet used to be like, mm-hmm. because before the Chinese took it over. So, and it's it's isolated for nine months of the year because the, the ice is all blocking the roads. And there were all these sort of. I flew in, and there were all these monasteries that I went to go see, and I would go sit with the Tibetan monks every morning. And then, in retrospect, I remembered that about a year before. I, I used to have this tennis coach in Canada that was sort of a Zen tennis coach, and he he took me aside one day and he was like, "You know nothing. There's people in in Tibet that are meditating every day and are so clear and blissful and, and achieving to such high levels of clarity. And 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 you go around with your little mind thinking you know everything. And and I thought he was just being a prick at the time, but then a year mm-hmm. later, I must have subconsciously digested that, and there I was. Sitting in a Tibetan monastery, <laughs> scratching my head, wow. getting my head shaved by the monks, and uh, and and just giggling with them and drinking butter or butter butter tea actually, I, uh, butter Tibetan tea, and uh, and just having the full-on cultural experience of some unknown reality that I I would probably have seen something like that on TV, but would never I would have been like, wow, that sounds looks really interesting, but could never imagine that I'd actually be sitting there and then I just it just ended up after that I, I ended up uh, 
continuing my travels because I was all these experiences were so much more rich than sitting in, in or living in Canada and going to school and having playing hockey and and having the regular experiences of a, a young Canadian. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I could have found it all here, I'm sure. Right. I just wasn't that wasn't my path. It wasn't your path and it really is extraordinary, I think, that uh Everything happens for a reason, so your coach kind of dropping those words to you and how it played out later on in your life, just synchronicity in action, and quite beautiful to hear. So I'm going to take a little break because I want to hear about your time in the Japanese prison and then what you learned from that. So you're a painter, you're an author, you're a poet and a singer, and I happen to love your voice. You really have a godlike voice. So this is one of your songs called Seeing, which uh, I really quite like.
that is seeing by God. I love, I love your music. I, I think, I know you have uh, something on YouTube that I looked at was God Loves to Dance. It was just you dancing in one of your friends' rooms or something like that. And everyone should really go to YouTube and check out this video. What I love about it is you are so free <laughs> while you're dancing. And just, you know, it's not for anybody but yourself in that moment. And I think your whole story and and who you are in speaking today very much represents that, that there's a sense of total freedom about you. And I think that's, um, as we all received a little dose of hope minutes from Craig V. Abbott today, that's something I hope the listeners take with them when they leave the program, is that little kind of dose of freedom that you offer, that we all have the potential to look within ourselves and tap into that. But most of us are kind of placed in our own prisons instead. So let's talk about prison. What happened? I know, I I think I read someplace where you were kind of trying to stay out in your experience longer. You just wanted to make some money to extend your travels. Was that what happened with selling marijuana? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I mean, there was a time in my journeys where I did smoke marijuana briefly for Mm -hmm. a time. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the experiencing, in a way, of just trying something different that I'd never tried before, and and other drugs too. And it was interesting, and yet it was there were limits to it that I didn't find very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I got a, when I started to experience deeper things without the use of any any to smoke or drugs or anything, I naturally just let that go. And so you were there for five and a half years. Yeah, yeah, five years, five months. And, and uh, it, it was was the great meditation of my life. I have to say, it was one of the hardest things I ever did. Not because any particular moment was hard, mm-hmm. but because it was five and a half years. Like at one time in my travels, it didn't matter what experiencing I was having. I would lay in bed at night, and if I was having a good time or a bad time, I'd look up at at the at the stars or at my ceiling, and I think to myself, in six months I'm going to be on the other side of the planet. I just know that because that's my sort of journey right now. And in six months, I'd I'd remember that. And I'd modern technology is wonderful that it kind of brings us all together. But we're still uh, we're still working it out. We're still working the details out. Hi God, we're back now. Hi, thank you for that. <laughs> no um, problem. Yeah, the point with that was that every um. Every so often, I'd find myself on the other side of the planet, and and there was always this sort of knowing that every once in a while things are going to change drastically, and I'll have a new perspective on things again, and that this too shall pass, sort of thing. And then I was in prison, and I and then there was that point where I was like, oh, in six months, and then I realized, oh shit, <laughs> in six months I'm going to be here, and then six months later, it would be like, uh oh, <laughs> and then six months, and then. Three years later, it's the same thing, and it was, it was a cell that was maybe six feet wide, twelve feet long, mm. and for about half the time, it didn't even have a window, or, or it didn't have a window I could see out of, I should say, and it had a tatami mat, a toilet, a sink, a little shelf, a futon mat, and and a, a pillow. And a little opening for them to add, give me food, food and green. I, I would have about five pots of green tea a day, and uh, a, a meticulous, regimented diet, and 
a couple hours of exercise a week and uh and the rest of the time I did yoga, I meditated and I just went in and I wrote a lot and I read a lot and I just tried to keep it as part of the journey. Mm-hmm. I tried to, the moment I was when I was caught in at Narita Airport, they asked me like they wanted to know like they wanted a confession right away and I asked it for five minutes just to be alone and I just went inside and and asked my my inner like what do I do with this situation sort of thing and the only thing that there was just a voice inside that just said surrender mm-hmm. to it totally surrender to it totally like it's your new practice your new spiritual practice and so I just I didn't resist it at all I told them yes I am I am I did this and I confess and I didn't hide anything and, I, and during the interrogation processes I. I used it as a sort of method to delve into my unconscious and let them into every part of me and to see if there's any any sort of fears in me or anything that I'm hiding and let it just be dug out of me mm-hmm. and just be totally and I want, and then I had this when I did arrive in sort of real prison I had this intention just to to make that prison my my own in the sense to almost become what it means and to be and to become it so much that I become free of it, and that was my intention. And 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 I would say it was a very hard process, but there was something that I wanted to come out of that prison with more than I got went in with. Mm. And uh, I didn't want to lose anything to that. And and uh, as such, it worked for me in that regard. It was it it was definitely hell, but it was also definitely heaven at times. There was there was small and you know there were so few intimacies with outside people and there were small connections because i hardly ever met anybody being in solitary for that long and i would meet a a catholic priest once a month and we for 10 minutes and we would talk about basically meditation and and books and and over five and a half years he was pretty much my only contact and he was just a a nice american guy from virginia or something and Mm -hmm. his name was father barry Mm-hmm. And he was just the sweetest guy, and he wasn't pushing any religion on me. We just talked uh, basically about, we talked a lot about esoteric sciences and about meditation and about how I was doing in my heart. And he was just my sort of, my uh, check-in once a month. And uh, and we developed quite a, a fondness for each other over five and a half years. You can imagine 10 minutes a month adds up. And although it only adds up to probably a day or two or, or hours, really, there was quite a, a connection because he it was, it was my only connection and the guards and I we there were guards that I learned to just love tremendously because they were serving me and 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 there were there were people that reflected parts of my personality that I just didn't want to look at whatsoever and fortunately it was a prison that that it's Japanese prison and the Japanese are renowned for strictness within themselves and within their rules and and as a result, there was no drugs, no alcohol, no violence, no none of this hanky panky of American, <laughs> right? Or, or, or Canadians, uh, Canadian ones for that matter. And from what I hear, anyway, I, I, I've never been to a Canadian prison cell at all, or Japan, or American one. Yeah. But from what I saw in movies, it, it, they, those ones truly, truly look like experiences that I could, I, I wouldn't have wanted to handle. But this one, the the system is set up. To, if you don't, don't cooperate, you get put into isolation and and uh, put on a box to and 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 it's 
a lot of times it creates dimension dementia in people or mm. and it's sort of it's quite um called it's um known by Amnesty International to be human rights abuse but because it's just I, I suppose it's a psychological abuse but as I knew so much about meditation I just when they would do that to me I just used it as meditation and it was just another 10 or 20 day meditation retreat sitting on a box and and so a lot of the guards were quite dumbfounded by me because they couldn't seem to break me in the sense that I, I'd already I was choosing to, I was choosing to be broken in my own way and using it for my own process rather than just to surrender to forced labor camps over there. Um, so, in a way, it worked out quite good. I, I, I would say I so. Yes, I would what say. I wanted and, and I didn't lose my soul to it. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, what what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself through that process? That everything is me. Mm. That everything. My worst enemy is me. My my dearest lover is me, and everything in between, and every experience is my creation, and and every and every bliss is my my choice, and that every every experience I have, I have the choice. On one level, there's no choice, but on another level, there's total choice to experience it in a in a in a blissful state or in a hellish state. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's. It was a very remarkable journey. I, I can't, I can't deny that. It was very, it was very intense. But there were moments where I was, I was, I, I enjoyed it. There were moments where I was enjoying it. I would be like, wow, you know, I wouldn't miss this for the world. <laughs> it was just so ridiculously. I felt like in a movie or something. It was just marching through this prison, looking around, going, wow, you know, I just wouldn't miss this for the world. This is why I came here, just to see this madness. <laughs> Well, you have a great attitude, I have to say, because sometimes life circumstances are such that we get thrown into situations. We could say and argue we choose to be in those circumstances, but sometimes just awful things happen to good people. But what I'm getting from what I I hear you saying is that even within that, we still can choose about whether we're going to it's going to be a hell for us or whether it's going to be a heaven for us. And that's uh, that's really a great piece of advice. I think within any any difficult situation, you have the choice to create a context that allows you to experience it as a, a a challenge to be to grow from and a challenge to learn from and a challenge to find the bliss within. Like even, even there's many difficult situations that one can find the bliss in. Right. Absolutely. And as Craig V. Abbott, who is thickly kicking off our hope minutes and he goes through in his own life and and that's what he's found and that's why I have him on the program each week because that energy is so powerful and, and important for people to get. So I also want to mention that you've authored three books, The Language of the Butterfly, I love that title, Emotional Freedom Technique for Everything, and then God, which is kind of the story I think that you're revealing to us via the radio program today. And so, what is the emotional freedom technique that you? Is this something you founded, or something that's out there? No, it's it's a technique founded by a man called Gary Craig, mm-hmm. and I highly recommend it to anybody that wants to become more free, more happy, or enhance any aspect of their life. It's just a simple tapping technique along meridian lines with the same with the same sort of concept of working with meridian lines with acupuncture or kinesiology or any other 
um, deep transformative technique. And it basically, somebody described it as basically just resetting the, the memories associated with those energetic meridian lines on our body. So say you've had a childhood trauma of some sort, and you go back into that memory and you visualize it and you, t- and you, you tap on, on the di- different energy points that are suggested within my book, mm-hmm. you will find that there's a release of that pent-up energy and that often there will come a new he- healed perspective on that memory or, or you can choose to re-visualize it or, or, or through affirmation you can uh, reprogram basically uh, the old memories not that you transform the memory, but that you you heal it in a way that you can remember it without the pain and, and the anxiety associated with that particular situation. So that you you can the reflective experience in your present day life mm-hmm. is healed, so that your relationships and your friendships work better, and your health is better, and everything connected with your emotional body has greater health and balance. That sounds wonderful. And how long does that process u- usually take for a person? It depends. Like mm-hmm. the technique itself can be learned fully in a half hour, and and more intricately over a long period of time and experience, and and checking out different variations on the technique. Um, essentially, people do, are treating PTSD with it in a mat sometimes in a matter of 15 minutes, sometimes in a matter of 15, 15 minute sessions. So it just depends on, on what the true roots of the issue are, mm-hmm. how deep it is, and also the willingness of the individual to to look at, at it. And that has a lot to do with it, that in a sense, it's one of these techniques, first of all, it's free, mm-hmm. which is just like the right price somehow <laughs> for healing, it just seems like it. And and uh, on top of that, you don't need a therapist to guide you through it, and yet you can find really good EFT um, practitioners that will, quote-unquote, facilitate um, mm-hmm. the process. But it, essentially, it comes it boils down to the willingness of the individual to heal. So it's like it's one of these techniques. It'll work. Are you willing to use it? Are you willing to go out and check out the issues involved with Whatever's going on in your life, in order and, and open up your mind more to the possibility of healing, the, healing, um, shall we say, a sore leg by checking out the emotional issues of something, and and finding that you may have created that, and then diffusing that situation, and all of a sudden, a few weeks later, your your leg is healing better, or, yeah. or whatever it is, and and um, it's very scientific, uh, scientifically, um, shall we say, proven technique that actually they, they've tried out on diabetes patients and found immediate results. I'm not claiming to be a, um, a scientist in this regard. This is just what I've read and heard. Mm-hmm. But in my own experience, it consistently works in one form or another. It'll either heal the situation, the emotional pattern, the physical pattern, the mental pattern, or it'll connect you with something that will, if it can't. Right. That's it- been my, my personal experience and. And I, I feel silly. I, I feel goofy. I'm gonna say it. And my name is God, and I endorse that product. <laughs> I love that too, God. And you know, I'm signed up, so you know, I'm I'm definitely signed up. Well, let's talk about. <laughs> 
Let's tell the listeners where they can find your wonderful books and uh, your music. Should they go to www.dieux.ca or uh, are your books, are, are they on lulu.com? Where should our they're, listeners go? They're, they're all available through links on my website on the different pages. Okay, great. And and, and we should have a new CD. Of the, most of the recordings on the website are mm-hmm. preliminary, preliminary recordings, and we should have a CD out of by the end of the month or by the end of the next month and it's going to be really yummy and mystical and fun and juicy and and playful also. I can't I can't wait for that. I have to say that even though I know you explained to me these, you know, the some of the music that was up there was very rough recordings, but there's something about the natural aspect of how they were recorded and the moment that you were in that I I thought I I found really great. So I I like those as well. Yeah. I, magical. Actually, the song you played was the first song I ever sang, in that I'd written the lyrics to. Like it was, so it has a certain innocent quality, I would say. Yes, very much so. But I like it. And anyway, uh, so can we? Can you stay with us a few more minutes? I know we're gonna go a little bit longer. We have been going longer. Or what's? Or do you have to get out of here, God? <laughs> No, I cleared my schedule today for you, man. Oh, I'm so, I mean, I am truly honored. I don't know that I'll ever hear those words again spoken by God. But So we were talking about the awakening sessions and, and yeah. what they're like. Yeah. So mostly it involves me connecting with somebody mm-hmm. and, and we'll, or, or two people connecting, myself and an individual, and then just relating from the deepest truths within ourselves. And relating from everything that's prior to our minds and our concepts of ourselves, and, and to see what's really going on within one's life and one's life course and journey and one's soul, and to see what's really true for that individual rather than all the concepts that have been shoveled on by society and oneself and the whole conditioned package that comes along with all that. So it's first of all, there'll just be a connection. Mm-hmm. And relating, and not necessarily me teaching anything, but it's more about learning to connect with what's true for you. Mm-hmm. The Indians, um, what they call giving drishti, I would imagine. That's how I'm visualing it. I don't know if that's the same with the process that you're doing. But it's a very powerful exercise to sit with another person, be silent, and just look into their eyes and be with that person. And if you even try it at home, guys, you know, just uh, try to do it with a friend or your loved ones, whatever. If you're just sitting, you know, really sitting close to each other and just making eye contact with each other. I, I noticed the first time that I did it years ago, I think it was at some kind of seminar. It was at a landmark seminar, actually, that I was taking. And the exercise was to just look in, you know, with complete stranger's eyes and stay there. You know, and we we stayed with looking at each other's eyes for about four or five minutes, and all kinds of emotions came up. I began to laugh. I began to feel flushed in the face. I mean, it's really an interesting exercise to try because you get to see what's really going on, as God was explaining emotionally. You know what you're holding on to in the, in that particular time. For me, I I felt very awkward about being intimate with this person and to look into someone's eyes is very intimate experience to be with someone in silence is a very intimate experience so anyway that's that's how it came up for me but i think that would be wonderful for people to try and see how 
your experience is for you. And then write in and tell us about it because we'd love to hear about it. So let's let's talk about that concept that we started with God, which was what if God was one of us and what if God is in all of us? And, and how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the concept that God could be one of us or God is in all of us? Um, I think as a concept, it's interesting. It doesn't help much to experiencing that as a concept. Mm-hmm. But to actually just intend to experience it within your life course, I think your intention in, in allowing that to become your experience is most fundamental to actually experiencing that. But as a concept, there's lots of concepts. There's lots of religion. There's lots of ideas. Mm-hmm. What you choose to experience within any given moment, you have a you have a way of opening up to that. And if you choose to open up to that, you're lucky because it'll enhance your whole life. And, and and it doesn't necessarily involve a particular technique. It can just be you being with your children in a in a normal way that you just don't get your ego involved in the situation or being with your your husband or wife or friend or lover or, or, or just with life itself in a way that you you take away some of the separations that create this identity that say, I'm a separate, a separate individual and God's a concept outside of me. When you just allow yourself to be with, the moment, be present with the moment, and to enjoy whatever the moment brings, be it a beautiful sunset or a, or a rusty prison cell. I mean, there's always that door within you that if you choose to let it be open, you, you call it your heart, call it your being, call it your, your consciousness. If you allow that to unfold within yourself, it opens up to something that you don't even need to call God. You can call it Whatever you want, you can call it love, you can call it clarity, you can call it a very nice day, but it's still, it's something much bigger than one thinks oneself to be, and it's always there for us to to access. Very beautifully said. What do you wish the world to know about you, God, that you you feel people are not getting about you at this point? Uh, Well, basically, I I feel fairly understood by everyone. Mm. Mostly, I just feel... If people want, I think there's always more joy to be had, and you don't have to settle for for anything. You you can always find the trueness in your life. You don't have to. I mean, I I, I know you asked a very deeply personal question, but I I don't feel particularly misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I need to be understood. Like like I suppose in this culture, there's a general misunderstanding to that word God, but I I don't feel particularly deeply identified with the name. Mm-hmm. It just sort of came my way and and I, I own it and I, I know I can handle it, quote unquote. But at the same time I feel very understood and and I feel very accepted within myself and, and if people accept me or not, I don't even know if they do. But if if they choose to, that's beautiful. But if they choose not to, I can understand why people would choose not to within the society because Somehow this society has, especially regards that name, because society has such conditioning around it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost a four-letter word in the society these days. And just it, it, it brings up so many things and issues for people. But at the same time, my own experiencing of this is a real playful freshness. I go to a bank, and, and the bank teller laughs, and they're so blissed out to meet God, and they just <laughs> have a lot of fun with it. And I, and I go into a government office to get a new idea or something, and they just, they smile and, and there's a playfulness involved and uh, and I find generally just a lot of acceptance about it and uh, and I find generally if if people do have judgments I don't really come across them because mm-hmm. I, I just don't man- manifest that reality I suppose and 
Well, you're not attracting it if you're that secure, you know, within yourself and who you are and what you're doing. You're not attracting it into your existence. Well, well, then fairly, fairly early on, I realized that if I'm going to own that name, I'm going to have to really, um, yeah, own it within myself and accept myself with it because it was to begin with. It hit on all my conditioning too, mm-hmm. and it also shattered it. So I was, I was like, okay, so so here I am. <laughs> what to do and uh yeah it's great it's it was really amazing to have you with us today i thank you so much god it's it's just been so great to have you on the show i have to say that um i love that god loves to dance i like your music your writing your art i love the thought that God is one of us and all of us, perhaps, if we look at each other in this light, we'll have a greater respect and compassion for each other and a better knowledge about who we all are. And please come back and and see us again and keep us posted about what you're doing. It was a joy to have you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's really been a joy to connect. Thank you, God. And and thanks for inviting me to dance. I really appreciate that. Okay, I'm going to bring Amkari Williams on now. I know you're waiting for those that uh, were very excited about the Redesign Your Life contest. Um, Amkari Williams is kicking off week one, and so she has some fantastic uh, instructions for you to follow. Just remember that after the show, go to the website for the show, which is www.gobehindthecurtain.com. And there you will see that there is an entire page dedicated to the contest. You'll be able to have access to an application to fill out to be a part of the contest. The the week's instructions will be there, and you'll also be able to, um, excuse me, um, listen to a repeat of the show in archive. So here is Amkari Williams, and this is the Redesign Your Life contest. Hi, it's so good to be here with you for this. It's going to be a really exciting few weeks as we work through this plan. Now, let me just say, we're doing this to redesign not only a room in your life, but an aspect of your life. So keep that in mind the whole way through. So creating your plan is the very first thing you're going to do. And what you want to start with is deciding what aspect of your life it is that you want to redesign and which space in your home best reflects the challenges that you intend to overcome. And what I mean by this is if you are really messy in one room of your house, it may reflect chaos that you're experiencing in making changes in an area of your life, maybe your career or relationships, whatever. But there's almost always a connection between those two things. So decide what aspect of your life you want to change and look at the room that best reflects that change need in your life right now. Get a small notebook, and that's going to be dedicated to this process because you really want to keep notes about your ideas and so on. So the first thing you're going to do after that is take a photo of the space that you're going to be redesigning, and you're going to take it as the space looks right now. Don't spruce it up exactly the way it is right now. And then you're going to consider what needs to go in the space, what needs to stay in the space, and what new ways of thinking and being you wish to incorporate as you work on this redesign. You might want to pull a desk out and move it somewhere else or bring in an armchair. Just really think about how you want the space to function for you. And that's part of the next step is make a list of the functions that you want the room to accommodate. 
if you're living by yourself, you can have it be whatever way you want. But if you're sharing your home with others, you may need to take their needs into consideration. And then in addition to the function, consider what the feeling you want the space to have is. Does it support the aspect of your life that you're redesigning? Is it a nurturing, peaceful space, if that's what you need? Or is it a space that gets you motivated to move on with a project, if that's what you're having a difficult time with? Are you going to want to paint the room? If so, this is the week to go to your local paint store and gather chips of colors and be able to take some time deciding what color is going to be best for creating the environment internally and externally that you're going for. And then you're going to start dreaming on paper. You're going to pull out that notebook, collect images, color swatches, ideas for the new space, look around you, look at nature, look at magazines, take inspiration anywhere you find it, and keep making notes. It's a really good idea to write everything down because we often forget the brilliant insight we had in just the hush, hurry, and rush of everyday life. And then think about what's going to stay in the space in terms of how it's supporting that internal change that you're seeking, and really be very clear and specific about that. And finally, make a list of any items that you would like to sell and set prices for them and do the research so you can sell them on Craigslist or eBay or at the local swap meet, whatever is available to you. It will be really satisfying to get things out of your home and get money for them that will support you in this process. So that's week one of the contest. I think it's going to be an enormous amount of fun, and you're going to find that you change in ways you never anticipated. So have fun and good luck. And that was Amkari Williams of InvestigatingLife.com, and the contest is Redesign Your Life, and this is week one. Again, go to www.gobehindthecurtain.com and uh, to the contest page, and all of the information will be available to you each week uh, as the contest continues. It's very, very exciting. I hope you're all out there participating in this. Send us emails. Let us know how you're doing. Amkari's really, really great at what she does, so I think you're going to find this experience really uplifting in more than just uh, the physical sense. So anyway, uh, next week, Michael Booker is a singer, songwriter, activist, and native teen mentor and winner of three NAMI Awards. Michael is chairman and co-founder of the You Are Not Alone Network, a Native American teen suicide prevention website. His Cherokee ancestors go back to the Trail of Tears and earlier, and he has been told the stories passed down from generation to generation, and those stories and his life experience are what he shares in his work. Very excited about next week's show as well. It was an honor. I want to thank all of my guests once again. God was just an amazing presence on the show, and I'm so grateful that he came and shared his story uh, with us today. I'm Kari Williams of InvestigatingLife.com, and of course, Craig V. Abbott will be back with us each week now, and he will be delivering Hope Minutes. Thanks for taking this journey with me. I'm so honored to have your listening. This is Kathy Barrett. I'm sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll tune in. Peace.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.